When Sylvia and I took an impact mission trip to Nassau, Bahamas in 2014, we worked at the All Saints Camp, a refuge for men and women and a few children who were diagnosed with HIV and AIDS. The camp is located on a high ridge with small houses lining the top of the ridge and mango trees in every backyard. And so that reality makes it feel a little almost romantic. And there was, of course, enough joy in that place to welcome visitors and to celebrate life's milestones. But it was still a place of hardship, lacking resources and marked by stigma. We were there laying bricks for an on-site hurricane shelter, since, as you can imagine, this ridge would have been quite exposed in the case of a hurricane. But also because, despite local hurricane shelters being nearby, emergency personnel were in the habit of refusing transport to the residents of All, All Saints Camp because of the stigma of HIV and AIDS. While we were there, I was walking with one of the nurses, and she pointed down the ridge to a cemetery below. It had seen better days, and some of the stones were askew. The paths were littered. And she said, there. He used to live there. She was, of course, talking about one of the residents. For years, he had lived in the cemetery, nowhere else for him to go. He'd been kicked out of his house, rejected by his family, living with HIV and AIDS, unable to secure housing, in and out of jail, and always returning to the cemetery. She said it took much convincing, and they had to secure appropriate funding, but they, the, the staff finally got him to move up the ridge to live at All Saints Camp. I bring this story to you today because I picture this man when I hear today's scripture passage. I met this man, and maybe you have too in your own way, the one who lived among the tombs, metaphorical or not, who everyone has abandoned. Hear now our passage from the Gospel of Luke. Jesus and his disciples sailed to the Gerasenes' land, which was across the lake from Galilee. As soon as Jesus got on the out of the boat, a certain man met him there. The man was from the city and was possessed by demons. For a long time, he had lived among the tombs, naked and homeless. When he saw Jesus, he shrieked and fell down before him and shouted, What have you got to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? And he begged, Do not torture me. He said this because Jesus had already commanded the unclean spirits to come out of this man. Many times it had taken possession of him so that he would be bound with leg irons and chains and placed under guard. But he would break the restraints and the demon would force him out into the wilderness. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had entered him. And the demons, they pleaded with Jesus not to order them back into the abyss. And a large herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside, and the demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs. 
So Jesus gave them permission, and the demons left the man and entered the pigs, and the herd of pigs rushed down the cliff into the lake and drowned. When those who attended the pigs saw what happened, they ran away and told the story in the city and in the countryside. People came to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone. He was sitting at Jesus' feet, fully dressed and completely sane. They were filled with awe. These people who had actually seen what had happened told everyone how the demon-possessed man had been delivered. Then everyone gathered from the region of the Gerasenes and asked Jesus to leave the area because they were overcome with fear. So he got out into the boat and returned across the lake. The man from whom the demons had gone begged to come along with Jesus as one of his disciples. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell your story, the story of what God has done for you. So he went through the city, proclaiming what Jesus had done for him. Thanks be to God for this holy word. Please pray with me. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We thought that it might be summer by the middle of June, and even though we're still wearing our winter coats almost, we are still anyway beginning our summer sermon series. It is based on this book by John O'Donohue, which is called To Bless the Space Between Us, um, and it urges us to offer blessings to one another. And so I hope that it is a poignant um, way to spend our summer here together. After his unexpected death at the age of 53 in 2008, one of John O'Donohue's friends described him as a tall, charming man with a twinkle in his eye. But O'Donohue would never explain himself by his looks or by his accomplishments or even by the people he knows, by his family members or his loved ones. He describes himself primarily by the landscape in which he was born, the Atlantic-adjacent West, West Irish landscape where he was raised. When asked what formed him most, he said it was the limestone. And this ever-living conversation, an ancient conversation between ocean and stone. The cold northern Atlantic, the rugged mountains, the bogs, the heath, the grasslands, Maybe you've been to West Ireland and you know it well. And geologically, I suppose it was formed over a billion years ago, whereas our own Lake Michigan was still just a glacier only 14,000 years ago. So I get it. His land is old. His landscape speaks in eons. It's a place where time can slow. For O'Donohue, the landscape wasn't just matter. It was alive, pulling you into a mindful mode of stillness and solitude and silence. The ocean and limestone together formed his spiritual sense of self, and come to think of it, maybe we might learn something about ourselves by learning from him. Maybe the landscape in which you were raised and the landscape in which I was raised has formed us in ways we have yet to notice. 
John O'Donohue was pressed once to consider the possible privilege of all of this. What of those who don't grow up surrounded by such beauty? What of those like this character that Jesus meets in the Gospel of Luke, who lived among the tombstones, or those who grew up among violence and impossibilities? How might they find solitude and solace and stillness? Pausing, he replies from a place of stillness himself and says, The dawn goes up and the twilight comes, even in the most toughest inner city places. In 2007, when he said all of this, maybe he was referring to the sunrise over Baghdad, where that year a truck bomb exploded and killed 135 people. Or maybe he meant the sun rising over Blacksburg, Virginia, after 32 were shot at the Virginia Tech incident that April. And today, in 2022, we notice the sunrise in our own places. The sun will rise this morning in the Donbass, John O'Donohue reminds us. And the sun will rise in Ilvaldic, Texas. And we remember again the way dawn breaks over every COVID patient in every hospital across the globe. O'Donohue says, I think that connecting to the elemental can be a way of coming into rhythm with the universe. As we are speaking, he goes on to say, there are individuals right now holding out on the front lines, holding the human tissue alive in areas of ultimate barbarity, where things are visible that the human eyes should never see. And they're able to sustain it because there is in them some sense of beauty that knows the horizon that we are really called to in some sense. When Jesus approaches the man who had been living among the tombs, his first words to Jesus were, don't torture me. He begs, don't torture me. He begs because he has lost that sense of beauty on the horizon. Jesus must be one among many in a long parade of healers who have tried to help this man or help this man, come hell or high water, using ointments or tinctures or herbs, but also probably unethical but sanctioned uses of physical restraints or beatings or worse. The community might say, what else were we to do? He could, after all, literally break through the shackles and escape to the tombs, the realm of the dead. This man expected violence from Jesus because violence had been all he had known, even from those seemingly there to help him. And so I carry with me the story of the man who lived down the hill in the cemetery in Nassau, Bahamas, and Pastor Isaac Villegas, he carries another story with him. He has known this biblical scene because a correctional officer led him, Pastor Isaac, through a maximum security uh, prison where he had been teaching religion classes all semester. And that day, five guards walked down the hall with one prisoner, leading him, encircling him, monitoring his every move, full restraints, wrists handcuffed together, a chain on his waist, shackles on his ankles, naked except for what looked like a mini skirt of some sort made out of a white plastic trash bag. 
There was, his eyes were a blank stare, a cold emptiness that likely mirrored the emptiness of staring at a concrete wall for 23 hours a day in solitary confinement. The guards on that unit, Pastor Isaac later learned, had found a place where the security cameras didn't quite reach, and they would take turns torturing the inmates. What else were we to do, the guards might say. And so, no wonder this man approaches Jesus begging, do not torture me. He had known no other way. But instead, Jesus asks his name. Jesus confronts the demons that had been shadowing him all the days of his life, and Jesus finds a way to rewrite that story. And suddenly, the man is dressed and in his right mind and sitting at Jesus' feet, for those of you who have had to call the cops on a family member, or your own child even, for those of you who have watched the unraveling of a loved one, you know what kind of miracle this is, him sitting in his right mind at the feet of Jesus. You understand why the townspeople were in disbelief. You know what it feels like to wait for what you see with your eyes to really feel believable. For after a while, our ability to imagine the miraculous begins to wane. John O'Donohue's last chapter in his book, To Bless the Space Between Us, is called Beyond Endings. The man who lived in the tombs could not see beyond endings, nor could his village. He could not see to an end of living in the tombs. He could not see an end to the torture. His village could not see an end to the social isolation. What other way was there? Nor could they see an end to the roaring legion of demons within. No one could see him dressed and in his right mind and sitting at the feet of Jesus. Some days our imaginations cannot think beyond endings either. When John O'Donohue blesses the space beyond endings, he blesses, of course, the most human of endings, death. He blesses the dying. He blesses those entering death and those on this side of death who know that grief is its own kind of ending. So if you know that person entering death, or if that is you, the blessings in here may be a balm. When his own father died, John O'Donohue wrote a poem for his mother, saying, And when your eyes freeze behind the gray window and the ghost of loss gets into you, may a flock of colors come, indigo, red, green, and azure blue, to awaken you in a moment of delight. John O'Donohue trusted that the flock of colors would surround her, even in the gray of loss. He knew that beauty would accompany her from ending through to a place beyond endings where blessing can finally be heard. Seek out the beauty of things, he urges us. Healing is there. Blessing is there, even amid every kind of sorrow. 
In our sacred texts, in the prophets, we hear this promise from God, and you've heard it before. It says, I pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. In other words, God has seen the way in which our dreams become clouded, the ways our creative imaginations become dimmed. God notices the way that we cannot see the blessing beyond the ending. But this is no fake-it-till-you-make-it saccharine hope with positive thinking or wish fulfillment where you just think happy thoughts and all is well. In this long lineage of old men dreaming dreams and young men seeing visions, John O'Donohue is pressing us towards blessing because, as he says, when we bless, we work from a place of inner vision, clearer than our hearts and brighter than our minds. Blessing, he says, is the art of harvesting the wisdom of the invisible world. Blessing, he writes, suggests that no life is alone or unreachable. Though suffering and chaos befall us, they can never quench that inner light. Here, healing is possible. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.